a wife woke up one morning and said, I just had a dream that you bought me a gold necklace. What do you think it means? I don't know, he replied. But Christmas is right around the corner. A few nights later, she again woke up after having a dream. This time, I dreamed you gave me a pearl necklace. What do you think it means? He answered, dear, I think you'll find out soon enough. The night before Christmas, she again woke up telling him about her dream. This time I dreamed you bought me a diamond necklace. What do you think it means? Honey, be patient. You'll know tomorrow, he said. The following morning, the husband pulled out a package from under the Christmas tree and gave it to his wife. Overwhelmed with excitement, she opened it to find a book entitled The Meaning of Dreams. I'm going to go out on a limb here, but I don't think that was what she was expecting. Have you ever had, ever had an experience where things did not turn out as you expected? Maybe you ordered something from a restaurant that didn't live up to its hype or live up to its name. For me, I ordered the Hotter Than Hell Burger. Hotter Than Hell Burger. And didn't even sweat a drop. That was disappointing. Maybe you went on a vacation that turned out to be more exhausting than relaxing. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's a relationship. Whatever it is, for whatever reason, it's not what you expected. We all have expectations. Expectations of people. Expectations involving certain circumstances, and even expectations for ourselves. And when those expectations are not met, whether they be reasonable or not, in some way we feel cheated and disappointed. Now adding to that, 
we also have expectations of God. And when life doesn't turn out as we had expected, when things don't happen in the way we think they should happen, if we're being honest, we can also feel cheated and disappointed with God. Maybe you had your heart set on something. You asked God for it. It appeared to be in His will. It was something He could have easily provided if He wanted to. But as far as you can tell, nothing had happened. Yes, you still have faith in God, but you feel cheated as if He really owed you something. And you're disappointed with Him because things didn't turn out as you had expected. I think we have all been there to some degree. And this morning, I want to introduce you to a couple who would certainly understand. So if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And we are going to start with verse 5. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. This is one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible. And I consider it to be part of the Christmas story. And Luke begins and tells us, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abia. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Have you ever read a story or watched a movie that began with the words, it was a dark and stormy night? Did you just watch one? (laughs) Yes. It was a dark and stormy night. In some respect, Luke takes that same approach here with in the days of Herod. In the days of Herod. Yes, it gives us a a time frame to work with as Herod the Great ruled from 37 B.C. to 4 B.C., But this opening in the days of Herod also provides us with a grim and dreary setting to this story. And let me explain. Herod, who was not of Jewish blood, was the king of Judea a puppet king. 
of the Roman Empire. Herod was a paranoid and a brutal ruler who held onto his throne at all costs, even executing a father-in-law, several of his ten wives, and even executing two of his own sons. And just as a reminder, this is the same Herod who ordered the slaughter of all the boys in Bethlehem under the age of two in an attempt to kill Jesus, who he thought was a threat to the throne. Under his rule, the land was filled with immorality. Even the priesthood had become corrupt. So these truly were grim and dreary days. And to some, it may have seemed that God had abandoned His people. But in the midst of this, Luke focuses on two faithful people named Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth who are living in a little town out in the hill country of Judea outside the city of Jerusalem. Luke tells us that Zacharias was a Levite priest of the division of Abiah. And Elizabeth was the daughter of a priest, which was a special blessing for Zacharias. A priest was required to marry an Israelite virgin, but not necessarily a virgin from a priestly family. So for Zacharias to marry Elizabeth was a huge blessing. We might say he scored. And speaking of priests, in those days there were a lot of them. Priests had become so numerous, approximately 20,000 of them, that they could not all minister in the temple at the same time. As a result, the priests were arranged in 24 divisions. 24 divisions, and these divisions served on a rotational basis. Each division of priests would serve a full week. The division of Abiah, where Zacharias was assigned, was the eighth division out of the 24. So both Zacharias and Elizabeth had come from priestly families. But that's not all. Luke says in verse 6, they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. Notice that both Zacharias and Elizabeth were described as righteous in the sight of God. 
God had graciously declared them righteous because they trusted Him. And because they trusted Him, Luke states they walked blamelessly. Now that does not mean they were sinless. That did not apply to them, and it does not apply to any of us. But rather, the desire of their heart was directed towards God, and it showed in their lives. That's what he's saying. Zacharias and Elizabeth loved God. And as a couple, their lives were devoted to Him. They were faithfully serving God from their hearts. And by God's grace, they were upright before Him. Their marriage seemed to be a marriage made in heaven. Both from a priestly family line. And so given all of this, surely, surely, Zacharias and Elizabeth could expect that blessings would flow from God. You with me? Look at verse 7. But they had no children. Because Elizabeth was barren. And they were both advanced. I think the King James says stricken in years. Here Luke tells us that this godly, devoted couple could not have children. And this was a very big deal in the Jewish culture. And let me explain. From a Jewish perspective, okay, a Jewish perspective, God loves the righteous. And according to their interpretation of the Old Testament, God showed His love, God showed His favor to the righteous by granting blessings. And among those blessings was children. This was the Jewish hope. This was their expectation from God living under the idea that you get what you deserve. When you are good, you are entitled to receive blessings from God. And when you are not so good, then you deserve divine punishment. So from a Jewish perspective, a couple who did not have children suggested that they were being punished by God. That's how they saw it. It was a tragedy. 
for a Jewish couple because of this stigma of God's displeasure against them. But that's not all. From a practical sense, children served as a social security net, meaning as the parents got older, the more children you had, the better off you would be later in years with their support. So for Zacharias and Elizabeth, their inability to have children was terrible on many levels. And at the very least, it was disgraceful amongst the people. Yes, they may have been righteous in the eyes of God, but in the eyes of everyone else, they were being punished by him. Can you imagine how Zacharias and Elizabeth felt? Like everyone else, they wanted children. They had expected children. Other family members and friends had children and grandchildren and maybe even great-grandchildren. And undoubtedly, Zacharias and Elizabeth knew of people who did not serve God. And they had children. But they were childless and disgraced. And just so you know, Zacharias could have divorced Elizabeth to add to her disgrace. In their culture, barrenness was an acceptable reason for divorce. Zacharias could have gotten ridden of Elizabeth and married another and possibly had children by another wife. But this couple stayed together no matter what. Together, they remained faithful servants of God, but they were given no children by Him. And now they are both beyond the age to have children. Some have suggested that they were in their 80s, possibly in their 90s. So at this point in their lives, they have fully expected to endure this disgrace and disappointment being childless for the rest of their lives. But Luke continues with the story. Look at verses 8 through 10. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service 
before God in the appointed order of His division, according to the custom of the priestly office, He was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. As I said earlier, there were too many priests to serve in the daily rituals in the temple in Jerusalem. So they organized into 24 divisions, rotating each week with a brand new division. Within these divisions, they cast lots. They rolled the dice, so to speak, to determine who was assigned each task for a service. In this case, it was the service of incense. I've got a picture up there. The Jews tell us that there were three priests involved in the service of incense. Three priests. One priest who collected the ashes left on the altar from the preceding service, and then he backed out. Another who brought in a pan of burning coals and placed it on the altar, and he backed out. And a third priest who went in with the incense, sprinkled it on the burning coals, and while the smoke ascended, he offered prayer for the redemption of Israel and the coming Messiah. Okay? Can you picture that? Okay. He alone would be at the altar. And by lot, this task fell on Zacharias. The most honorable task in the whole service because it was as close as a non-high priest could get to the Holy of Holies, which was just behind a curtain. This was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for a priest, and it was given to Zacharias. Now, it's so easy to focus on the details of this priestly task that we overlook the simple fact that Zacharias continued to serve God. And I fully assume supported by Elizabeth. Their circumstances, although difficult, had not made them sour and bitter. They did not give up. They did not leave the ministry. And they did not turn their hearts from God. Instead, they continued to persevere and serve God despite their disgrace and their disappointment. So Zacharias is in the temple alone. And something happens. Let's continue with verse 11. 
And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. This was the greatest day in Zacharias' life as a priest. The one time he got to offer incense. He's performing his assigned task. He's all alone in the temple, or so he thought. And then, poof! Out of nowhere, the angel Gabriel... It's Gabriel. The angel Gabriel shows up standing next to the altar and he has a message from God. Now bear in mind, nothing like this has happened in 400 years. Between the last book in the Old Testament, which is Malachi, Up to this appearance by Gabriel, heaven has been silent. That does not mean God was not working in the lives of people, because He was. But for 400 years, no angels were appearing, no prophets were preaching, and no word was being written. Nothing but silence from God until this very moment. Well, Zacharias sees Gabriel. He's never seen an angel before. He's only read about them in the Old Testament. But he has no doubt he's looking at one right now. And go figure, he's terrified. But Gabriel says to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will give him the name John. Your prayer has been heard. Let's talk about that for a moment. As you know, Zacharias is currently in the temple. At the altar, offering incense to the Lord and praying for the redemption of Israel and the coming Messiah. That's why he's there. That's why this honor was given to him. That's what he's supposed to be praying about. But the angel Gabriel tells Zacharias that God is answering his prayer for a child. I like what one writer has said about this. Suggesting what Zacharias may have been thinking 
at that moment. He says, I don't know what you're talking about, angel. My wife and I prayed for a child day after day and year after year. But we gave up on that prayer for a child a long, long time ago. I'm now praying for the redemption of Israel. I'm now praying that God will send the promised Messiah. But I haven't been praying for a child for many, many years now. I gave up on the idea of being a dad long ago. And just so you know, angel, we are both well past our golden years. Here's what's so awesome about this. Zacharias had been praying for the redemption of Israel and the coming Messiah, but in order to bring that about, it was God's will to also answer a long-forgotten personal prayer for a child. God would answer two prayers for a single purpose. to use this miracle son named John to usher in the promised Messiah named Jesus. You see, even though Zacharias and Elizabeth were living in disappointment, their disappointment did not change what God thought about them, and it did not change God's plans for Then Gabriel goes on to tell Zacharias about his unborn son. He says, beginning with verse 14, You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice over his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. And it is he who will go as a forerunner before Him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers back to their children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So it's clear from here that John is not going to be an ordinary son. We're told that John would bring joy and gladness to his parents and his birth would bring joy into the world. He would be great 
in the sight of God, but he would not follow in the footsteps of his father, Zechariah. Instead, John was given a special mission at birth. John would be set apart for a special mission and be filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb, which was unheard of. Throughout the Old Testament, God anointed special people with the Spirit to perform specific tasks for a limited time. For example, Moses was filled with the Spirit to carry out the exodus from Egypt. Gideon was filled with the Spirit to lead the Israelites into battle. But never had someone been filled with the Spirit from birth. John was the first as the forerunner to the Messiah. And in some respects as the forerunner to all believers who live by the Spirit. So that's some birth announcement for John. But it's not the first time it was announced. The first announcement came 700 years prior in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1 through 3 where we read, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call, and, and call, her, call her to out. Call out to her, excuse me. That her welfare, warfare has ended. That her guilt has been removed. That she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of the one calling out, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That's speaking of John the Baptist. And then some 300 years after that, we read another birth announcement in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I am sending my messenger, and he will clear away before me. And the Lord whom you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. I suspect that Zacharias and Elizabeth knew the scriptures. They may have even known these specific passages. But there is no way they could have expected that these passages were talking about the Son they thought they could never have. You see, God had a plan all along and He waited for the proper time to set His plan into motion. For Zacharias and Elizabeth, it was a long time to wait in disappointment. God knew they desperately wanted a child. He knew they suffered from disgrace in their culture. But in God's time, at the right time, they got much more than a son. They got a prophet of God. 
They got the one who would clear the way for the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. That's what they got. As I said at the start of my message, I love this story. It's a hopeful story. It's God's story. But living in this story wasn't easy. It wasn't easy back then. And it's not easy now. As we live our lives, as we take part in God's story, disappointments are sure to come. Because we don't always get what we expect. Just like Zacharias and Elizabeth, we get disappointed when we have our hearts set on one thing, but get another thing, or sometimes nothing at all. Zacharias and Elizabeth thought they would never have children. They were well past their child-bearing years. But in their disappointment, Zacharias and Elizabeth continued to serve God. And they continued to turn their hearts toward Him instead of walking away from Him in bitterness. So don't, don't shut down when things don't go your way. For if you do, that suggests you are more concerned with what you want rather than what God wants for you. Instead, set your heart on the things above. Remember that God is working in your life. He's faithful. His timing is perfect. His purposes are much greater and farther reaching than you could ever know. And in the end, it will work out just like He has promised. Now there's something else I want to say. God's delays are not necessarily His denials. In other words, don't think that if something hasn't happened in the time you expect, that God has said no. His timing and His ways are different from ours. God chooses to act or not to act according to His perfect plan in order to bring about His purposes. Just like He did with Zacharias and Elizabeth. So don't give up. God is writing a story. A story from eternity past to eternity future. 
And in this story are the names of Zacharias and Elizabeth and John. And as believers in Jesus Christ, our names have also been included in this everlasting story. In spite of us, by God's grace, we are fortunate just to be included in it. Blessed beyond all measure. And it's more than we could ever expect. Let us pray. Father, I thank You for this time in Your Word. I thank You for this story about Zacharias and Elizabeth and John. It's a story of hope. It's also a story of faith. That we can trust You no matter what. Father, thank You. I thank You that You're not like me. That Your timing is different. That Your ways are different from mine. Thank God for that. And Father, like Zacharias and Elizabeth, give us a heart no matter what that is turned to You. Give us a heart that is devoted to You. And help us, Lord God, to live our lives in a way that is pleasing to You. Father, may You be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name, Amen. I was thinking this morning about our expectations of God. Does God ever fail? Does God ever fail? Sometimes it may feel like it. Right? Sometimes it may feel like God has failed me. But the truth of the matter is this. God never fails, but my expectations of Him can be failing. Sometimes my expectations of Him are unreasonable and unrealistic, unfounded. Right? Sometimes my expectations are just downright wrong. Absolutely wrong. But I blame God for not meeting my wrong expectations. Right? That's what, that's, what, that's, what, that's what I do. That's what I do. But 
That's why it's just so important to be in His Word. To keep me grounded. To keep me grounded. So if you think God has failed you, I'm going to say, no, He has not. Your expectations failed you. That's the truth of the matter. It's your expectations. I'm glad you're here this morning. Maybe you're here and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you're angry with them bitter towards him. He took something from you. That wasn't fair. And you've turned your back on him, but he has not turned his back on you. He loves you far more than you will ever know. And I'll remind you of that in a little bit. He loves you. And if you do not know Him, He wants you to know Him desperately. Desperately. I would love to introduce you to Him. Maybe you're looking for a place to call home, a place to worship. We'd love to have you here. Or maybe you just need prayer. Maybe you're holding something against God. Need prayer about it. I know of some people who cannot forgive God. There are people who cannot forgive God. I'd love to help you with that. However you feel led this morning, I just pray you'll be obedient to Him and respond to Him as He asks you to. So, Larry?